You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we continue our series on John the Baptist with a message from Pastor Lisa Durant titled, Why Did John Baptize? Let's check it out. All right, well, good morning, Word of Life. Wow. All right, so that moment when Luke is coming out here like a ninja and planting the pulpit right here, that's partially for my benefit because during the run-through, I stayed back there because without my glasses on, I can't see where I am. So, you know, Luke was very helpful this morning. Um, We're in a series this morning, and I just want to welcome you if uh, you're a guest here. We hope that you feel comfortable and welcome. Make sure you stay, have a cup of coffee out in the lobby. It's a nice, warm place to be. Um, If you're joining us online, welcome. We've got great chat hosts today that want to welcome you into that space, so we're glad that you're here. We're in a series today. This is, I believe, the third week of a series on the life and death of John the Baptist, and I believe that Pastor Tom mentioned this, and if not, I'm going to mention it. I don't think I've ever heard a series of sermons on the life and death of John the Baptist. Anybody heard yeah, if it's been done, I'd love to read it because it, it's, it's been a lot, right, Pastor Tom? We're drawn a lot. But the great thing about John the Baptist is that he teaches us a lot in the little bit that we see about him. Uh, he's kind of an odd guy um, and uh, very different. We're going to look in that a little bit this morning. But the circumstances of his birth were absolutely miraculous. How many of you enjoyed last week when Pastor Tom um, dove into that? And then, so that all happens, and then he's sort of disappears. He goes into the wilderness, and he's out there, and basically he's weird. You know, um, he's, he's, I picture him as this kind of like wild-haired guy, wearing scratchy clothes, eating bugs and, and honey. He's just this odd kind of guy. He's messy, and he's rough around the edges. He's not polished. He's not neat. He's exactly the kind of guy that Jesus likes to use, right? So while we don't have a whole lot of info about him um, in the Scripture, the info that we do have this morning, I'm finding in four different gospel passages— All four Gospels talk about today's account. So when we see something repeated in Scripture, it's worth looking at, right? So uh, this morning we're going to talk about John baptizing, and more specifically, John baptizing Jesus. And I'm calling this, Why Baptism? So um, since I'm a kid's pastor... Sometimes I'm able to pull a great story from my interactions with kids, keeping all pertinent information anonymous for their protection and for yours. Um, Sometimes I have personal stories or stories about my own kids that I always get permission to share. But this morning, I wanted to find some comments or questions that kids had about baptism. And so I went to a reputable source, the Facebook AG Kidman community where every kid's pastor goes to ask questions. So I said, give me some cute or profound comments or questions, um, interactions that you had with kids around water baptism. One kid's pastor wrote, I had a seven-year-old this year explain it as being like a snake and taking off your old skin to put on a new Jesus skin. Yeah, I like that, right? Another one said, a kid was worried about being second in line for baptisms that day in case the first kid's sin was still floating in the baptismal. (laughs) It's pretty great, right? This one's my favorite. A kid was afraid to be baptized because he thought he could never sin again and he couldn't live with that kind of pressure. 
I'm going to tell you, first of all, if you want to learn interesting and profound doctrinal ideas, ask a child. Second of all, your kids tell the kids' ministry team everything. <laughs> you just might want to know that. Um, but seriously, baptism is a, a, a concept known to church culture, and sometimes people are confused about it, right? Um, and they might not understand why it matters, why we do things the way that we do. So it's important that we understand the background and the significance of baptism. And to be honest, I've learned a lot as I prepared for this. And so I believe there's something relevant for all of us, no matter where you are on your faith journey. So let's dive in, pun intended. Right? We're going to go to Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to start out with verses 1 through 8. And it says this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We don't take for granted that your word is given to us and it's meant to guide us, to lead us, and to be applied to our lives. We thank you that your word is living. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through your word today and that you change hearts and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so why baptism? Why is baptism significant and relevant even to today? So I'm sure as I speak, there are people in this room um, who have a water baptism experience. You've made a confession of faith, you've made a decision to follow Jesus, and you've been water baptized, and your story is significant. How many of you have significant stories, right? Amazing stories. We, um, we've watched stories about baptism and what happens. In fact, a little later on this morning, we're going to get to see one. So many of you may have really great stories. Um, there may be people in this room who have questions about baptism. Maybe you wonder, why do we do that today? Or maybe you were baptized as an infant and you're curious about what we're doing here. Maybe there are some people in this room, you've never even thought about it. Um, so I'm hopeful that today you're going to see why this is relevant. And again, why it was important enough that we see it in all four of the gospels in the Bible. So before we launch even further, I want to look just a little bit at the history about what John was doing and what it might have meant for the people of that time. So there's history in scripture that I'm pulling, and there's also some history from some historical books, some Jewish historical books, and I'm actually going to read verbatim some of these um, details so I don't get anything messed up. Um, so this is the first passage. Sorry, I keep hitting my mic, guys, when I put my glasses on and take them off, but 
That's how it's going to be. So this first one is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary, and it says this. The use of water as an instrument for religious and physical cleansing is prevalent throughout the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Those who had committed certain defiling offenses were required to immerse themselves in water in order to ritually purify the body. So we see one instance of immersion for purification. When the tabernacle was built, there was an implement called a laver, and I'm reading this as well. The laver used in the tabernacle was made of brass or copper, which according to Exodus 38 was taken from the metal mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. It must have been beautiful, um, taken from from all those different pieces. The labor was filled with water, which the priests would use to wash their hands and feet whenever they entered the tabernacle to perform their duties. The labor consisted of a bowl resting on a pedestal or base. Its location was in the court of the tabernacle between the altar and the entrance to the holy place. So that is another instance of water being used to wash or to cleanse. Um, 2 Kings 5 recounts the story of Naaman. Naaman was an Aramean an officer, he was well known, and he was struck with leprosy. Leprosy in those days and throughout scripture is actually a symbol of sin. And so Naaman ends up being put in touch with the prophet, prophet Elisha, and the prophet Elisha hears from God and says, go to the Jordan River and dip yourselves in the river seven times. How, how many of my kids, men, kids, my teens remember this story? Naaman, dip, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman kind of went back and forth. He didn't want to do it, but he finally did. And on the seventh time that he came up out of that water, that leprosy was completely gone. So that's a story that we actually see in the Old Testament. And then closer to the time of John's ministry in Second Temple Judaism, Gentiles who converted to Judaism from paganism partook of baptism as entry into the Jewish community. And Jews sometimes use immersions as acts of repentance. The purpose of this entry requirement known as proselyte baptism was to remove any hint of ceremonial uncleanness from the Gentile. Gentiles were considered spiritually and ritually unclean and needed purification in order to enter Israel and the temple. Ritual cleansing for Jews was symbolic of inward cleansing as one who has become a proselyte is like a child newly born. Apart from proselyte baptism, Jews used immersion as acts of repentance. So what John was doing here, this idea of repentance, turning from uncleanness and sin through the symbolism of water, this was not new. This was known. But John was not a priest. He was not one of the people who would typically be performing this kind of ritual. He wasn't serving in the temple. He was out in the desert looking all wild, you know? So I love to imagine him as someone who looks all wild. He's completely different. He's got this stern voice. He's got this prophetic edge. He's zealous. He's intense. He attracts attention. And we see in scripture, and we've explored over the last two weeks, that he was destined to be a forerunner. He was a preparer. He was the one who was to make a way for the Messiah, the Holy One, the Savior, the 
redeemer. He was a bridge between the last of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament and the New Covenant. He was ushering in a new age. And there are so many significant things that we can pull out of this and so many things. I went down a whole lot of rabbit trails in the last two weeks. You can ask the people that I work with and you certainly can ask my husband who kept saying, bring it back in, Lisa, just bring it back in. Um, his identification is a forerunner, his choice of clothing, the way he could draw a crowd, the way he decided to use the Jordan to baptize. There's a whole bunch of things, but I'm going to hone in on just a few things, I promise, um, symbolic things, and hopefully we can all take something away. Sound good? Everybody want to leave with something? Yes. Okay. So the first thing is baptism is a call to repentance. Baptism is a call to repentance. So three of these four gospel accounts of John's baptizing specifically mention a call to repentance and forgiveness of sins as the precursor to baptism. Before we get baptized, we repent. John called for a need to understand that sin has to be confessed and turned away from, and that baptism symbolized that decision. Now, previous accounts of immersion in water that I talked about earlier, for the most part, they suggest that the cleansing happens when contact is made with the water. There's, there's a suggestion of that. Whether the person being immersed has come in contact with something unclean, whether they become ceremonial unclean for some reason, um, whether they need their sins washed away or their past washed away, water seems to be the cleansing agent to wash or even drown, as in the case of the flood, that which, which separates them from God and from community. But in the case of what John was doing is he was turning this on its head a little bit. He was saying, repenting, repentance, turning from our sins, looking for forgiveness is the cleansing agent. Repentance is what cleans us. And in highlighting repentance, John was doing something very different and he was paving the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. Now this crowd would have been familiar with the concept of Messiah. They were looking for him. They were looking for the one who was coming to save them. They had different ideas of who that might be and what he, would, he might look like, but they were looking for someone who would stand out. They were looking for someone who would be a little bit different. So some of them may have looked at John and, think, and thought, well, this guy has a prophetic, prophetic edge. He draws a crowd. He speaks something that, that speaks to my heart. Maybe he's the Messiah. But let's look at what happened when the true Messiah actually showed up. So we're just going to go a little further down in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 9, and it says this. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, there are a few things happening here, and actually, my next three takeaways actually correlate to this passage. So first, Jesus is presenting himself to John, his cousin, and he asked to be baptized. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 3, and it reads this way. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, 
I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. I don't know if the hand motions were part of it, but they are when I talk. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So John's doing something really significant here. We already know that he's a forerunner. He's a prophetic forerunner. He's a messenger, and he's preparing the way for Jesus. He's calling people to repentance. We know that's important because Jesus was coming to bring forgiveness of sin. And once Jesus enters the scene, we see a few more things. So the next thing we see is that baptism is a symbol of belonging. Now, people like to belong to something bigger than themselves, an organization, a group, a club, sometimes a profession or a charity. People like to belong to something bigger than themselves, and they'll often have some sort of symbolic representation of that community to identify themselves with it. For example, the class ring. The class ring. So when I was in high school, I wanted a class ring, but on my paycheck from Vinny's Pizzeria, I was too cheap to buy one. I worked at a pizzeria. I smelled like onions and tomatoes all the time. That was my first job. And so I didn't get one, but class rings are often used to symbolize where somebody graduated from, what year they graduated, what their interests were, what sports they might have played, what communities or organizations they were in. In the case case of a collegiate ring, um, sometimes your profession and your degree is on there, right? So baptism, just like a class ring, much like a class ring, is a symbol of belonging. It's a symbol of belonging to Jesus. When there's such a strong symbol there that Jesus actually modeled it, it's important that we look at it, right? And uh, I've had discussions with people, and I've even wondered myself in some of those discussions, why in the world did Jesus get baptized? He was sinless. He was perfect. He was holy. He had no, no need to do the first step to repent, why in the world would he do that? Well, I want to read something from one of the commentaries that I found, and it says this. The baptism of Jesus by John must have been a problem to the early church. Why did Jesus submit himself to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin? Matthew recounts John's reluctance to baptize Jesus, and Jesus' reply, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus had to identify himself with sinful humanity at the very outset of his ministry. This he did by submitting to baptism. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was not baptized for his own sins because he was guiltless. His baptism gave approval to the ministry of John and was an act of dedication to his own ministry. In effect, he was identifying himself with the people that he came to save. Jesus identified himself with us by submitting to baptism. And in doing so, he identified this symbolic moment in the life of the believer 
While baptism is not salvation, it is an outward symbol of salvation and the symbol of belonging to Christ and a community of Christ followers. Much like the class ring, which shows what organization or group we belong to, baptism allows believers to identify themselves as someone who belongs to Jesus, someone who is willing to identify himself with us and our sin nature. When someone's baptized, we as a community of believers know that that person has had an experience very much like ours. They've been convicted of sin. They've, they've figured out that they need to repent of that sin because of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. They've turned from their sin. They've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and they've taken a step in obedience to him. It identifies each of us as belonging to a faith community, but more importantly, it identifies us as belonging to Jesus. So baptism is a call to repentance. Baptism is a symbol of belonging. And another thing we see here is baptism points to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So in all four accounts of this moment, all four accounts in the Gospels, just before Jesus began his public ministry, the Holy Spirit is seen as a dove. That's important. Again, if we see it four times, it's clear that something special is happening and we need to pay attention to it. So in the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit is important. He does so many things. He convicts us of sin and draws us to Jesus. When we feel that tug on our hearts, knowing that something that we've done has created a wedge between us and a holy God, that's the Holy Spirit at work. He draws us to Jesus and he he brings us to a place of repentance and humility and the ability to accept what Jesus has done for us. And once we've submitted ourselves to Christ, the Holy Spirit, I can never understand this, I can't figure it out, but the Holy Spirit begins to live inside of us. Is that not incredible? I am a sin-filled, yes, I am a sin-filled, guilty person. And the Holy Spirit has chosen to live inside of me. So as he begins to live in us, he begins to work in us and through us, and he starts to purify things in our lives, right? He starts to work things out that needed to be worked out. Sometimes we think it's the person next to us working it out. That might be. But it's often the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Rubbing those raw edges off. He begins to fill us with fruit. He begins to give us supernatural giftings. He begins to use us to tell other people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was a big part of the baptism of Jesus, and his presence clearly indicated that there was an anointing on Jesus for ministry. Now, this wasn't the first time that the Holy Spirit showed up with John and Jesus, right? We learned last week of the story of two expectant mothers, Elizabeth, the mother of John, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when they met, John responded to the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus because Jesus carried the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. And when we meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit prompts us to respond as well. While the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives at the moment of salvation, we have every reason to believe 
expect and look forward to greater things from the Holy Spirit working in our lives every time we take a step of obedience. And because baptism is a step of obedience, we can fully expect that the Holy Spirit's going to show up and do something amazing in our lives when we take that step. He is very present at baptism. I have seen people baptized and I see their face change. I have seen children baptized, and I know as they're talking, going on and on and on, that something incredible has happened in their little hearts. It's not the same thing for every single person, but the Holy Spirit is very present. So, you with me so far? Baptism is a call of repentance. Baptism is a symbol belonging to Jesus, and baptism points to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in this moment between John and Jesus, we see something else that's very significant. Baptism is an act of surrender. Now imagine that you're in the crowd that day with this wild prophetic guy. He's taking people and he's doing something that seems familiar. He's doing something that seems familiar. And you're thinking, well, this ritual looks a little bit like cleansing, but I've kept the law. I'm not unclean. I don't need to do that. Or this looks a lot like proselyte baptism, but I'm a child of Abraham. I don't need to do that. He's saying, repent. Well, I don't want to like go forward for people to know that I've got something to repent of, right? People are the same all throughout history, right? We're no different than anybody else. Everyone is the same because human nature doesn't change. So when we surrender everything to Jesus, don't worry about those things. Repent and follow him. Things begin to change. Baptism is all about surrendering to something that doesn't really make sense. Baptism is all about surrender because Jesus is all about surrender. Philippians 2.8 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus and make him the Lord and leader of our life have needed to come to a point of surrender. From the moment that sin entered the world and invaded a perfect, holy garden, there's been a problem. We've been separated from a holy God because of sin. And sin causes brokenness and tragedy and dysfunction. And there's nothing that we in and of ourselves can do about it. And God made a promise to Adam and Eve, the first people who were affected by sin. And he said, I'm going to send a savior and he will fix it. And then later he made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant and he said, you're going to have a miraculous family. And from that family will come the one, the holy, perfect Messiah. And then he made another covenant with King David. And he said, your line, your royal line, will be the line that my son comes from. And prophets talked about this. They highlighted it. They made sure that the people of Israel, no matter where they were or what they were going through, knew 
that there was someone coming. There was a savior, there was hope, there was a redeemer coming. And then the prophets were quiet. For 400 years, nobody spoke out until one day an angel spoke to Zechariah and he said, get ready, get ready. I'm sending someone and your son, your son will be the one to make the way for God's son. And so John the Baptist was that prophet who bridged the gap between Old Testament and New Covenant. And he was used to soften the hearts of the people so that they would turn and get ready for this Redeemer. Now, baptism is about surrender. It's about a softening of our hearts. It's about a giving up of things that we think might be important. While it's a meaningful moment, it requires a level of trust, possibly trust in the person who's actually baptizing you, right? But trust and commitment. And at that moment of immersion in water, we're admitting that we are sinners, that we are sinners, that we are unclean, that we're guilty and we are washed with the blood of Jesus. And in symbolically in that moment, we leave that sin, that guilt, that sludge behind. And we emerge symbolically with this new life that Jesus has already given us. We surrender symbolically and we're ready to tell the world, Jesus is the one that I have given my life for. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and when he began baptizing people, he pointed to them that they needed to repent from sin. When Christ was baptized, there was a symbolic moment when he allowed himself to identify with us, and we can see that we can identify ourselves with him, showing that we belong to him. The presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment was not isolated. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, begins to live inside of us when we turn to Jesus. And he begins to make something new inside of us. He grows us, he changes us, he uses us. And as we completely surrender our lives to Christ, the relationship between sinner and God is mended. And it spurs us to tell others about that life-giving life saving sacrifice. So we're going to take a moment in this space, whether you're in this space physically or you're watching online, we're just going to take a moment. I want you to take a deep breath and just relax in the presence of the Lord for a minute because he's here. He's here. Now I want you to close your eyes. I say this in kids church, close your eyes so you're not distracted by the person next to you and bow your heads in reverence because the King is here. Now in this room today and in our online space, you may have already made the decision to surrender your heart and life to the Redeemer. In fact, many of you have already symbolized that decision by water baptism and you're living out your faith daily serving Him. But I wanna challenge you this morning to go deeper. Is this a moment when there's something between you and a holy God that you need to confess and repent of? Is there something in your life that you need to give up? 
Do you need to remind yourself right here and now that you belong to Christ, that belonging to him, that, that identity that you have of belonging to him is all that matters because you've drifted away from doing that and you've aligned yourself with something or someone different. Do you need to take some time to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through God's word, through time spent with him? Does he have work to do in you? I promise he has work to do in me. Are you supposed to share what he's done for you with someone specific who does not know him? Is there something today that you need to surrender? So here's your action step. You can open your eyes for just a moment and you can take a pen and a piece of paper or you can take your phone out, I don't mind, and send yourself a text or an email or make a note on your phone, whatever you do. For me, open up Basecamp and put it in your brain dump. Whatever it is you need to do, do it now. Write it down, put it in paper, put it in an email, put it in a text, put it somewhere that you're going to see it and then do it and then do it. The Holy Spirit is faithful to direct us and I believe that all over this room, he's speaking. All over this room, he's directing. All over this room, he's shining a light on something that he's working on. To cement this even further, in a little while, we're gonna have people here to pray with you. Come up and pray with someone. There's nothing like agreeing with someone in prayer before God to help us move forward. So do it. Now maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't taken that next step of surrender, of being baptized. Today, your action step might be signing up to do that. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we had a group of people from today who decided, I wanna take that next step. And I don't wanna assume that everyone here has made that decision. I don't wanna assume that everyone here has decided to give their hearts and lives to Jesus. So we're gonna go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes again. I know I gave you permission to look around, but I'm taking that permission away just for a second. So we can give people a little bit of privacy. If that's you that I've been speaking to today, if today when I was talking about that perfect garden where sin came in and the presence of God was separated from people by sin, and you know that you need to have someone bridge the gap between you and a holy God, and that person is Jesus, I just want you to look up and get my attention and let me meet your gaze and I wanna pray with you all over this room, if that's you today, you wanna surrender your heart and life to Jesus. Get my attention, thank you. Looking all over this room right now, I'm gonna wait a moment, let the Holy Spirit speak. If you wanna surrender your heart and life to Jesus today, I got you. Just another moment. The Holy Spirit's speaking this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, we have some people in this room who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So here, here's what we're going to do. We are a faith community, right? We identify ourselves with the sacrifice that Jesus made. So you're not alone. When we come to Christ, we're here to support you. So we're going to pray together and we pray this prayer every week. So it's a simple prayer. Just repeat after me all over this room. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. 
I want to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's celebrate. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.